But it was in the outskirts of Hull, and unbeknown to me, I didn't really know where it was. I turned up, I was a bit nervous. And I've gone in the car with Andrea Whitehead, and Andrea's saying, I think this is a bit hilly, this one. I did it a couple of years ago. Anyway, Steve, we set off, and for two and three quarters of a mile, all we've basically done is run the hill. And I can remember, you're laughing. It's not funny. You're laughing, mate. It's I know, not I shouldn't funny. be laughing, I'm sorry. It's not, it's not funny. <laughs> but, but this has changed my life. This is a real thing that needed to happen to me. Yeah. Because I'm running, and I'm running very slowly. And I'm shaking my head, and I'm going, Andrew, this, this is no good. You need to do something about this. I'm too fat. I'm overweight. I've done really well, but I'm, I'm, I'm overweight and I'm drinking. Why are you doing this? Anyway, I did it and I did it in, I think it was 58 minutes. I've done a 10K, my first ever 10K race. I've done it in under an hour. Hello, I'm Andrew Bodle and this is the Travelling Optimist podcast with Steve Odie. Greetings and welcome to the latest episode of the Travelling Optimist podcast with me, Steve Odie. Remember, you're now officially a member of the Optimism Tribe, so keep blazing your trail and keep the optimism force strong. Today's guest, as already mentioned, is Andrew Bodle, a successful business owner and entrepreneur with a relentless and tenacious spirit that's seen him deal with success, setbacks and tragedy and come out of the other side stronger. Andrew is a true Yorkshireman, born and bred in God's own country, He's literally made from steel that was forged by his ancestors. And Andrew is so much the embodiment of a Yorkshireman. When he goes to give blood, he pumps out the finest five pints of Yorkshire tea instead. Hey up, Andrew. Welcome to the Travelling Optimist podcast, mate. Hey up, Cocker. How's that going? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Thanks. It's so great to have you on the, on, the, on the show, actually. And I know we've been sort of communicating for the last... I don't know, three or four months, saying, can, can I come on your podcast, Stephen? It's been, it's been me that's sort of been too busy. So I'm delighted to say that we've actually found a time when uh, we can both record this podcast and, um, and have you on the show. So uh, it's, 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 a, it's really great that, you've managed, that we've managed to find the time to get together. Oh, brilliant, mate. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate you having me on the show. Uh, it's become more and more popular. And yeah, to me, everything happens for a reason. And then three or four months that have gone by, it means that there's more stories to tell from the year 2020, doesn't it? So oh, I'm, I'm only seeing it as a positive. So no need for any apologies, Steve. We love a good story. Thank you very much. <clears throat> You're very kind. So let, let's start from the beginning. Have a little bit of a background about you and your, your family, your business. And you started your career 30 years ago, but did you actually start the business 30 years ago? No, Dad started the business um, in 1975. Dad uh, worked on a power station, Drax Power Station near Selby in North Yorkshire. And they were, it was in construction then. It was a coal-fired power station, the biggest one in Eastern Europe. Dad worked on the power station maintaining uh, sewage pumps with me, uh, with my uncle. And they just put in a tender, won a contract. And since 1975, my dad started his business, which is actually called Lodge Engineering. So formed in 1975. I started doing bits and pieces with dad maybe in 1984. I mean, I, it was about 84 when he used to have me cleaning toilets on the power station for him. Dad used to get asked to do all sorts of bits and pieces, anything that nobody else wanted to do. They'd go to me, Edley, can you do this? Edley, can you do that? So we'd get involved in furniture moving, painting and decorating days, nights, fabricating lids, changing pipework, digging trench after trench after trench for the new cabins on the FGD plant. You name it, anything sort of semi-skilled, we'll give Edley at Lodger Ring and see if these lads can do it. So yeah. 1984 was yeah, probably when I first started working for Dad. So that was like your start of your apprenticeship, if you like. Yeah, yeah, that was the start of the apprenticeship. 1984, <laughs> I was 14, so, you know, could it, you could say it was a bit naughty working in so young, but I was obviously, I worked alongside somebody older who looked after me, but then I officially started in 1987 as a toilet cleaner. Uh, I think it was June 1987. I was 17. I'd retaken the old levels absolutely shockingly badly and my dad said right you're not sitting at home doing nothing come work for me and i was on 50 quid a week cleaning toilets for my dad 
and that's how I started right at the bottom. But it, it, great life skills for me, great life skills to me that I can pass on to my children. I mean, started at the bottom cleaning toilets, but I clean. I think I clean toilets really well, and to this day, I think I'm a really, really good cleaner. My attention to detail is second to none, and I'm proud of it. I'm very good at cleaning. I'm not being big-headed or anything. That's just not me. I'm just a, I'm just very good at cleaning, and the attention to detail is good. And yeah. that, my dad made me that. Dad, Dad's way was to work from the bottom up, and I, I haven't had a silver spoon in my mouth by no way, shape, or form. I've, do, I've done all the jobs within the company that we needed to do. Yeah. Um, and I'm proud that my dad uh, trained me that way, and hopefully I can pass that on to my two two children for one day growing up and getting into business and doing what they're going to do. So it's a really good grounding for me. And it, it, I never forgot. I never forget that. I can still, particularly this year, I've thought back quite long and hard about what I did, what I've done over the years. And the early years working for my dad, what I had to do. And I just, God, I used to do that. God, that was hard. But you just got stuck in and did it, mm. what you had to do. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's always, I think it's actually quite a, it's quite a, a good thing to do is reflect back because sometimes you don't realize how far you've come. And I was speaking to somebody the other day and, and we were talking about how people, people are always trying to chase the horizon um, and the horizon is always moving f- um, away from you. And so when you're, when you're chasing that, it's always, you're always going to be kind of disappointed. Whereas if you, if you relax that element of chasing that horizon or that massive goal and and actually reverse that your view to just occasionally having a look back at what you've done and what you've accomplished actually you find yourself in a different in a different mindset aren't you you're kind of looking at at your the what you've done actually you you suddenly get a, a clearer perspective of how far you've come that's a really that's a really good point that there's no person that is harder on yourself than me, whether it's in my work life or in my social life or in my personal life. I'm mm. really quite tough on myself. Mm. And it's not till, until you start talking to friends, family, or people like yourself where, you, you, where me personally gets a chance to sit back and think, yeah, you did do all right. And yeah, you mustn't be too hard on yourself. And yeah, goals, goal, it's really important to set goals. But even if you don't achieve them, first time you just keep trying that's one of my mottos never stop trying oh yeah absolutely so how have the last nine months been for you then oh it's been it's been it's been a bit up and down to be honest start of the year wasn't it january february time we're, we're in the news and there's this thing out in wuhan and we're thinking well is this going to get to us and then i can remember vividly watching the news i'm not a, i'm not a massive fan of watching the news i don't like to I don't like my children, and, and I certainly don't like watching the news. But it's, it just seems all bad news all the time. It's just negative, so I try and avoid it. Mm. And I remember one night, really, really vividly, I watched a five, ten-minute clip on the BBC of Italy. Now, Italy was three, four weeks in front of us with, this, with the, the pandemic, the coronavirus disease, and the deaths that were happening over there. And I could see my children's faces, and... They were quite shocked by it. And, and from that day, I decided uh, that's enough. I don't want these kids watching that. And I thought, I don't want to watch that either. Mm. But I went to bed that night thinking, wow, this, this isn't good. And then, you know, sure enough, almost the day, three weeks later, people start dying, don't they? Coronavirus in the UK, and it becomes really, really serious. And then the government's involved, and then it becomes the, the big agenda every day on everybody's and everybody's life and it's just been absolutely incredible how it's taken over hasn't it it's, mm. i don't know how it's affected you i don't know if you watch the news steve or i don't know how you handle it i tend to just stay away from it if i can no, I'm with you. Back, I, I, I stay away from it where i can i'm a, I'm, I'm on twitter I, i'm a big social media guy so i do i do find out stuff but i think it's different when you're seeing it come up on twitter which is the main news platform that it tends to come up that i'm involved with you can choose to scroll and just keep going if you don't want to don't want to have anything to do with it but when when you've got a tv screen in front of you that's that that's there in your face telling you all this you've almost you've almost no option have you but to watch it if it's on there 
especially if there's other people watching it, whereas Twitter flick through if you don't like it. So I don't, I don't know. I'm rambling on a little bit, but well, no, I, I, I'm with you. I don't like, I don't watch the news uh, very, very well, very rarely. Um, you know, if it's, um, if it's important enough, somebody's going to tell me, uh, you know, that's the, that's the bottom line. But, you know, yeah, it's, it, it's, uh, it's been, um, and I'm certainly not going to minimize the effect of, of what's happened and to millions of people across the world. I, I tend to gravitate towards, in terms of social media, I tend to gravitate towards LinkedIn. It tends to be a lot more positive yeah. and, 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 and less, less newsy. I find it very uplifting and, and, you know, I follow, uh, I'm connected to people on LinkedIn who are, you know, leaders in their, in their, in their field and, and it's a totally different landscape you know, to their, to them. I'm like you, I encourage my, my, my kids not to, to look at the news. I just, it's all very negative. There's a lot of good stuff going on uh, in the world outside of coronavirus and as well. Uh, but of course it just gets drowned out. So um, yeah, I, I'm with you, mate. I'm with you. I mean, being in the industry that you're in, I would imagine though you've been in the right place to have a positive effect on, on a lot of people really. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah. That, so the start of the pandemic happens, and and when it when it when it I can remember when when it started. Do you remember the first lockdown? Mm. If we go back to the first lockdown, which which I think was a proper lockdown, there was no bees being Q open, there was no retail outlets open, no garden centres open, no restaurants open, no pubs. And it was really, really strict. You were supposed to go out once a day. And if you worked, you'd got to have a reason to go to work if you couldn't work at home. Mm. And, and, and at that lockdown as well, don't forget, we had our, we had the children at home because the school shut, if you remember. Yeah. So it was a real, real tricky one. And I went from, I went from, from I've, I've still got, I've still got a couple of regular contracts that I, that I service so I was lucky that I had a, a had some income coming in but not a massive amount of income mm. so I had to go out and generate some money now we've got our own cleaning brochure that's full of uh, clean janitorial products washroom products etc etc paper washroom PPE but all of a sudden all of a sudden I went from my main job over the last 12 months is to go and demonstrate floor cleaning equipment. I'm, I'm famous on LinkedIn for providing IMOPs, for instance, scrubber yeah. dryers, that's that type of thing. But there was nowhere to go demonstrate them. O- overnight, everywhere shut. Factories are shut. Factories are shut. Schools are shut. These are all places where leisure centers are shut. These are all places where I go up and down the country demonstrating my equipment and you know, the effectiveness of them. So they're all shut. So I've got to go look. I've got to then go and resort to looking at my brochure and right what do people want now and i was very very fortunate enough to get on the phone speak to one or two people and what people needed they needed hand sanitizer mm. first and foremost so one of my suppliers uh, from south yorkshire was, was supplying sanitized stands I, I purchased some of them and very very quickly sold out of them and then i met again in Droitwich, a guy called somebody introduced me to a guy called Ian Hatfield from Droitwich, companies called G4B. And I took my, I can remember going down to Droitwich and showing him the stand and him saying, That's not very good, or words to that effect. We can make better one than that. And then a week later, we did. And then we shook hands on a deal. Why don't we do this together? Ian at the time, we were thrown together, Ian at the time. Uh, his business shut down and then he got a donation and somebody somebody gave him a decent amount of money and he set up half a dozen guys making face shields and donating the money back to the NHS. So they were providing face shields for the NHS and such as that and it was all on a volunteer basis. Brilliant thing that Ian did. Yeah. So this was just an ad that we were thrown together through a, a mutual friend and we started producing these sanitized stations and loads and loads of places up and down the country that are using our sanitized stations. And it almost saved us. It almost saved us the fact that I've got, I don't know, close to a thousand touch-free hand sanitizer stations out there now mm. that I wouldn't, that I didn't have at the start of the pandemic. Me and Ian have become very, very good friends and I had a laugh and joke about it along the way. He's, he's on my late wavelength like that. So it went from hand sanitizers to face shields to gloves to face masks. And a lot of my time, hours and hours and hours on the phone trying to source suppliers that were reliable yeah. because yeah. 
it just became absolutely crazy where there were people that weren't in the industry all of a sudden popped up here, there and everywhere that were mm. starting to sell these stuff that weren't involved in it before and it weren't their core business. But, you know, I'm a big believer in that you've got to take your chances and, you know, these these guys that have come along that didn't did it before, they're only doing it to try and make a living and that's what we've all had to do, isn't it, Steve? We've had to adjust and uh, and make a living wherever we can. It's been a yeah. tough, tough year, but I've had some real down days. I've really, I've had some real up days. I've had some mediocre days, and you've just got to you just got to brush yourself down. And if you've had a good day or a bad day, do the same again the next day and try and do it a bit better. So <laughs> it's not all been doom and gloom, but it, it's been tough. I'll tell you now. I I've, I know that you've been walking quite a lot over the last eight months or so. Yeah. Have you found that that walking or that that type of that that physical exercise has has helped you? Oh, massively. I've got a I've got a big dog. She's a newfie poo. So Coco's a female dog. She's four years old. She's a newfie poo. So she's a Newfoundland crossed with a standard poodle, and okay. she's my she's my best mate in all the world. So every morning we get she wakes up, we get out the house, and we do two mile round the block, and nine times out of ten. We do it on a night as well. And then we run together. I've got a lead that goes around my waist. Right. That, so I've got my hands free to do my running and she'll run 5K, 10K with me. So I've, I've had the best mate in the world this year to go walking with. And it, that's kept me sane. But the, the reason I, I, I become uh, so involved in my fitness and exercise was the pandemic this year. It's been a real, real tough time for me in the fact that my dad was 74 this year. And the start of April, he's, he sat at home. He, he nearly died in January, my dad. He got sepsis in January and the machines kept him alive in York Hospital in January. We thought we were going to lose him then. He's bad diabetic. He's had a triple heart bypass and he's not the fittest guy in the world. Type 2 diabetic. He's got all sorts wrong with him. Not been very well for a couple of years. Yeah. And then, and then he nearly died in January. Miraculous recovery. Gets home. He's safe as houses in the bungalow. And then he's got a sore on his foot. And this sore gets worse and worse and worse. And it's all due to circulation and, and things like that. And eventually, early part, mid part of April, it gets so he can't put his foot down. And it's really, really sore. He's got nurses coming in twice a day to dress it, make sure he's all right. Anyway, he collapsed one day. I had to call my sister, called the ambulance. They put him into bed. He was okay. And then the next day he collapsed and they decided to put him into York Hospital. They put him into York Hospital at the time when we're in full lockdown. So we can't see him. He hasn't took his mobile phone. We can't communicate with him. And then five days later, he's on the, he's on the stroke ward in York Hospital. But we'd found, but we'd found out fortunately that they were using the stroke ward as a safe place for people that hadn't got COVID. For two days, we were thinking, God, what's happened here? And they're using him on the safe ward in York Hospital. So he's okay. And then he's in hospital five days, managed to get to speak to him. Hey, mate, how are you doing? I'm all right. Oh, God, I feel better than I did. This, that, other. Like, well, what's happening, Dad? Well, they think they're going to have to amputate my toe. Diabetics, especially when they get worse and worse, apparently they're getting a the blood flow to people's feet in a, in a diabetic quite bad, and it's a common thing that they have things amputated anyway. So he's going to have to have his toe amputated, which it's not too bad. And then I remember, Steve, one Saturday morning, I'd done my run about 8 o'clock in the morning. I'd do a 5K normally every Saturday morning at 8 o'clock, at 8 and 9. I came back, my mum first rings me and said, you need to talk to your dad, run my dad up. And I said, hey, dad, how are you? He said, I'm not good, mate. And he starts crying. He said, wow, what's the matter, mate? And uh, dad said, Dad said to me, um, they're thinking they might have to amputate my leg. So, wow. And he's crying. He's, he's absolutely heartbroken. I said, Dad, I said, I'm obviously crying my eyes out with him at this time. I said, look, look, I can't remember what words I said, but I, I do remember saying to him, I said, look, Dad, I said, people get blown up in the war and lose limbs and they survive. I said, look, if that's what's got to be, I said, I don't care if I've got a dad with one leg or no legs. All I want is to have a dad. That's all that matters to me, mate. And it, I remember him crying and saying, that's a really, really nice thing to say, Andrew. I said, well, I mean it, dad. I love you. And 
you know, I want to see you again. I want you to be all right. And you can imagine, you can imagine mm. some dad who was really proud, who never cried, crying in front of his son, fearing for the loss of a limb mm. and, and being in hospital with no family around him. And it, it, it's just a really an emotional time. And then fortunately, fortunately, a couple of days later, it turns out that he's not going to lose his leg. They're going to, they're going to take a vein out of his arm and put it in the, in his leg and, That'll get the vein, that'll get the blood flow to his foot, and he, he can just have his toe amputated. So, operation happens. Dad has toe amputated, making a recovery, walking from his bed to the toilet, starting to get progression. And we're talking to Dad every day when you're coming out, Dad, well, I think I come out within a week or whatever. And then I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was mum that rung me, or I think it was my mum that rung me and said, Andrew, uh, your dad's been short of breath when he's been getting out of bed and the testing him for COVID. And this was a weekend. And um, um, I remember it, but I rung my dad. I said, Dad, dad so how are you? He said, I've, well, I've, got, I've got coronavirus. And uh, I said, well, what have they said, Dad? And he said, and he was really, really, I can remember it surreal. He was really calm. He said, well, they think they can sort it. They're not worried. And that was on the Sunday. And then on Thursday morning at 5.40, 5.45 a.m. on the Thursday morning, the mum rings me. The phone comes up. And the mum rings me. She said, my mum was crying. She said, Andrew, you need to ring the hospital. Your dad's not very well at all. I said, what do you mean not very well, mum? She said, his, his internal body parts are failing. And I can remember, oh, God, wow. Because you've got this coronavirus that's killing people and it's taking the news, the news at the time, Steve, wasn't it, that, that weak people, people in care homes or, or people that were weak, it was just killing them. It had no mercy, this, this. And it still hasn't, has it, to this day. Mm. It just, it just wipes people out that are weak. So my mum said, and my mum said to me, she said, there's a telephone number here. And I can't remember the lovely nurse that was, that was looking after him. She said, this is the nurse that's been looking after him. Dad can't talk anymore, but he can still hear you. So this is getting a bit tough. So, um, I remember getting cocoa at quarter to six in the morning. I was, I, I, it was building that I was going to be really, really upset. You can just feel it because. Mm. You know, you put the phone down and you think, Dad's going to die. And you think, Shh, I want my dad to die. I love my dad. Mm. So I got Coco, went down the road, went down the road, and I composed myself, rung this girl's mobile. I am, I am Andrew. You're looking after my dad, Headley. How is he? She said, he's not good, Andrew. He's really, really poorly. We fought with him all night to try and get him to, to, to have the ventilator on. And he, he's, he's, his heart's in a really bad place. He's, he's not good. She said, he can hear you. She said, do you want me to put it on loudspeaker so you can talk to him? And I, I remember, Steve, walking down the lane and, and thanking my dad for everything that he's done in my life. I thanked him from my upbringing to how he disciplined me for giving me a job, for the holidays that we'd had together, for being so kind and generous as a granddad. And for five minutes in between crying and composing myself, crying, composing myself, I had five minutes where I told him everything I could think of and I told him I loved him. Mm. And went on my dog walk, came back, and my head's spinning all over the place. My children are up. I remember saying to Harry, Harry, come and come for an, a dog walk with me. I couldn't bear to be in the house. I wanted to be outside. I, 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 I don't know. Anyway, I walked, I walked down the lane and I said to Harry, who's 10, I said, do us a favour, Harry. Your granddad's not really well. He's really, really poorly. Uh, will, you, will you ring him and talk to him? He, he won't answer you back, Harry, but just ring him and tell him you love him. Um, he's really, really poorly, Harry. He said, yeah, I will, Dad. And I got my phone out and my mum rung me and she said, Andrew, your dad's just passed away. I was talking to him when he passed away, but that's it, it's gone. And I, I know the exact spot where he died. 
And it was on loudspeaker, my phone. I put it onto loudspeaker and Harry heard it. And I remember my son at 10, he was nine then. He just dropped to his knees with grief. I'll never mm. forget that. And that, and my dad had died. And what a tough, tough thing that was. Your dad dying. And then, so your dad dies. And then you've got to sort everything out for your mum. You've got to put your big boy pants on. You've mm. got to make sure your mum's okay. So wrongly, absolutely wrong. We're, we're in full lockdown. We're not supposed to go see anybody or anything. I went and saw my mum. And, I went and saw her, give her a cuddle, there lots of tears, and I said, look, I'll make sure everything's all right. So I've got the undertaker to sort out, I've got death certificates and everything. And then I remember the funeral, it was surreal, man. We were in lockdown, and we weren't allowed to go inside the crematorium, and there was a maximum of 10 people allowed at your funeral at your time. Mm. So we turned up at the crematorium, my dad's there in the funeral car, the lady, I forget her name, did a lovely service for us. She's really good, really great person. She's got a mobile phone and a, and a, and a speaker and plays, I can't remember the song even. I think it was a Neil Diamond track or, or something. And we're walking behind the funeral car. I'm holding my mum's hand. And there were seven of us there. And the funeral car parked up. We're in a marquee with the chairs that, that are two meters apart, seven of us there, service 15 minutes later, and then she puts the she puts the thing on her phone after I've said something nice about my dad and blubbered a bit. Daughter, I remember my daughter hugging me as I was talking about my dad, and then there's another song. We walked out the crematorium and 20 minutes later it was just wow. Just over like that. No, mm. none of his friends allowed to you know, celebrate his life, weren't allowed to go for a drink after to the pub and, you know, there were no sausage rolls, sandwiches, mm. volivants and sausage rolls, none of that Peter Kay stuff that you, you'll have at funerals. It was just surreal and over and we called it a service station now, egg mayonnaise sandwich or something with my mum in the car and that was it. And then after that I've got I've got things in my head then that how wanna make I want to make a legacy of the rest of my life and I want to try and do things to make my dad proud. My dad was really, really proud of me and proud of my sister as well and all his grandkids. He, he, he loved us all. He loved us all. And for me, from, from dad dying, it's sort of given me a, a different purpose in my life. And I just want to go on now and, and, and leave a real, real legacy. And by a legacy, it's more of a fitness thing. When Dad hadn't been very well for a couple of years. He was, he was, he was, he was, he was too over. He was diabetic, so he's, he's really overweight. His diet weren't good. It, it's what it's how he wanted to live his life. It's up to him, and it. Mm. Uh, we've all got choices, Steve, haven't we? About how we want to, how we want to live our lives, and mm. um, Dad chose his, and everybody chooses theirs. And and, it, and my, from my thoughts, I thought, right, I need to get fitter. I, I need to get stronger. In November last year, so November 2019, I'd been injured for six months. I'd got plantar facilitis, which is a horrible, horrible injury. You can't hardly bear putting your feet on the ground. It's like walking on nails. Awful. And I'd gone up to, I'd, I were over 16 and a half stone, and I'm only a dwarf at five foot seven, five foot eight, or whatever. <laughs> so I'm not a big lad. Uh, so you can imagine. I'm like a little fat lad, little fat weeble from Doncaster, um, <laughs> hobbling about. Um, so I can remember, I can remember last year I met this guy called Ben Garrard. Ben Garrard owns a fitness uh, business in Selby. He used to be a teacher down where the kids go to school. Really, yeah. really good guy. Very, very good guy. Um, I was walking back with him from commemoration day at school. I'm telling him about my feet and how they hurt. And he said, oh, come and see me. I might be able to sort it. I had two or three goes at it, couldn't sort it. And we'd already talked and put seeds in my head about getting fitter and, and doing things, getting stronger. And I was sort of saying, I was making all the right noises. And after two or three attempts, three attempts, he said he couldn't do anything. He said, you need to consider shockwave treatment. I've only seen a guy in Garfer, uh, half an hour away from here. Anyway, I had six or seven se sessions with, with him doing the shockwave treatment and my, my foot got better. So then I was able to start training with Ben and the weight started coming off and I started making progress. I don't, 
I'd, I was then able to go back last, it was last, no, the end of November, I started running again. And my first part run back was about 36 minutes. So 5K every Saturday morning at nine o'clock throughout the world, there's a thing called park run yeah. where you, you run 5K and you run against yourself and see what times you get. Well, there's a, there's a bit of a running group in the village who were doing really, really well in the village. And I, I, I linked in with them and I started going to park run at Selby. And it was tough, mate. I'm big, fat, and heavy. I'm slow. and But I'm getting fitter. I'm getting stronger. And I started losing weight. My times were better. I think I did six part runs in December last year. I did them all. Christmas, Saturday before Christmas, <laughs> Christmas Day, New Year's Day. I was doing them slow, but I was getting better, making progress. Yeah. And then, obviously, with, with lockdown that happened, it sort of it curtailed a lot of it, but yeah. not me. I kept doing it for my mental health. Something there must have been a switch in my head that that made me keep doing, keep doing my fitness. So I've kept. What, what doing do you it. think that switch was? What 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 was that? Because this was before coronavirus, wasn't it? Hmm. When I first started, when I first started working with Ben Garrard, BG Fitness, I confessed to Ben that I like to drink, and and I was drinking every night, normally a bottle of wine or a couple of gin tonics every night, maybe going to the pub twice or maybe three times a week for a couple of pints or whatever, a bit more on a weekend. And I, I was mentioning about wanting to get fit. This is November 2019, December 2019, so a year ago. And Ben said, Andrew, he said, what you need to do, mate, is if you really want to take this serious, you need to change your lifestyle. He said, I can help you as much as you want. And you need to change your lifetime. You need to change your circle of friends. And what you need to do, and he said, you'll, you'll, you'll get so much momentum from it. He said, you start going to do the park runs and starting coming and doing fitness classes with me. You'll start feeling different. You'll feel different about yourself. You'll, you'll be, you'll be involved with really, really positive people because he, he kept saying how, how much his runners and his fitness group were so positive as people because they've got, and endorphins almost going around the body because they're yeah. doing all this fitness stuff. And I'm going, yeah, Ben, yeah, I will do, I will do. Yeah, I'll do that. And, and almost when I think back, Steve, paying lip service to it because although my diet had improved and my fitness was improving, I was still drinking. I was having a bottle of wine every night or a gin and tonic and justifying it to myself as, oh, I'm training. I'm being a good boy doing my training, yeah. but still doing the drinking and, and whatever. And so I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing this and I'm, do, and I'm doing really well. My times are improving. Things are getting better. And then dad dies. 7th of May, my dad died. And then I can remember for, for a few weeks being in a real hole, but still carrying on training. On a Saturday, we were still doing the runs. Two girls that were doing the Selby Park run set up this thing called fake run, Steve. Brilliant thing. <laughs> so this fake run replaces your park run and at the time on full lockdown you weren't allowed to train with anybody so you had to get, you were allowed to exercise once a day weren't yeah. you supposedly mm. so you're allowed to go out and run on your own so they created fake run where we all you did our 5k run on our own and posted times on facebook and there'd be 40 or 50 people sometimes more every saturday posting the times it was Brilliant. fantastic. It kept everybody going, mm. this fake run. And so much so, uh, July, August time, um, Ben put a shout out there that we were thinking of making a fake run T-shirt. And we, 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 I got me and, me and Ben designed this T-shirt in his kitchen and uh, almost. And then I sent it to my mate, uh, Tim at Tough Shop, who does all the embroidery for me. And Tim, Tim design team made these t-shirts, white t-shirt with a logo on. And the big logo was a tree because the symbol of the fake run is Michelle or, or, or the other girl that did it. I forget her name now. Oh God, she, Ellie. Yeah. Um, they put a tree on every Friday at 10 o'clock and it, it's under this tree this day. It's under that tree. And the fake run logo is a tree with loads of different brands of trainers hanging off it. It's fabulous. <laughs> I'll send you a picture of it. Yeah. I'd so love that's. That. So that keeps it, that's, that's kept everybody motivated to keep going and they do the scores and everything. So 
that helped me when dad died to keep doing that and get fitter. And then I started doing longer distance. When we were allowed to go back and train after lockdown ease, yeah. I started getting fitter, my weight's dropping off, and I'm starting to do longer distances. And then I was 50 this year on March the 3rd. And it was either a week or two before uh, my birthday. I messaged my mate over in Southport. He'd been my doctor for years. Moved, he's a scouser, moved back over to his homeland or nearer and nearer up at Southport. I rings him up. I said, Doc, I said, are we going to climb Mount Snowden? He said, we we're going to do it for my birthday. And we'd got a date in the diary. And then, boom, they shut Wales. Yeah. You, weren't allowed, you weren't allowed to go. You weren't allowed to go. So that was abandoned. And then I think it was with the first, I think it was the first week the kids went back to school. So it's the first week in September. I'd, we'd, we'd arranged, we'd, we'd spoken to one another. And the first Monday or second Monday in September, we were going to climb Mount Snowden. That was for my birthday. And it was the best day ever, mate. We climbed it in T-shirt and shorts. It was that warm this Monday. Yeah. And it, there were loads of people there. You wouldn't believe how many people were going up this pig track that we're going up. Yeah. It was like a stream of ants going up Mount Snowden, <laughs> mate. It was incredible. We got there at nine o'clock. We'd set off from Southport at half six in the morning. We get there to the car park. It's full. We had to go back down the mountain and catch the bus to get up there. It was that busy. Anyway, climbed Mount, went up Mount Snowden, went up Mount Snowden, came down the other side. I had a great idea of going down this track that, that somebody had told us to go down. It ended up putting an hour and a half on climbing down it, which Doc obviously were really happy about. Not. And, uh, we ended up climbing down it. It took us, what, five or six hours and it was a 10 mile walk. And I was absolutely shattered, but I was elated because I remember my mum telling me, that when dad was at school or he'd just left or was in scouts or whatever, he'd actually climbed Mount Snowden. So he'd done that mm. and I'd done it as well. So I was really proud. And then we sat outside this coffee shop and I said to Doc, I said, I've asked Ben Garrard. I'd, I'd since joined a, a fitness group in Selby. There's about eight or 10 of us go on a Monday and Wednesday night and do circuits and strength and conditioning. And everybody's really quite fit that goes to it. They're all really keen runners, really keen on fitness. I've mentioned to Ben, I said, why don't we try and do the three peaks? I said, would you put a shout out to see if we're going to do it? And Ben said, yeah, I'll think about it and I'll do it. Anyway, I'm sat in this cafe in Wales at the bottom of Snowden, done 10 miles. And I was absolutely in bits, mate. My legs were aching. And I said to Doc, I said, God, I'm going to be able to do this, this three peaks thing. He said, how do you feel? I said, I feel absolutely out of my feet. He said, well, they might have, they might be your answer. Anyway, Ben, the next thing, Ben's put a shout out and everybody's saying, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. Three weeks later, three peaks. I think the 10 of us went. We all completed it under 11 hours. We did the three peaks. It was 25 miles. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life so far. <laughs> three climbing, three peaks, mate. It was a monumental achievement. And when I was tired, all I kept thinking about, mate, because there were times on the war, I was the fattest lad there. So going up, I was rubbish. I was, I was at the back going up because I'm the heaviest, aren't you? And, and yeah. when you're doing climbing and running, the heavier you are, you're at a disadvantage. Yeah. So climbing up mountains for a fat lad from Doncaster is not great. Whereas when you go down, you've got a bit of a belly to get you down there quicker, Steve, haven't you? Physics yeah. is on your side, mate. Yeah, your physics is on your side. You've got a bit of weight behind you to <laughs> get down a mountain. But going up, and I was in some bad places, mate. I was in some bad places, but I kept thinking of my kids, but I kept thinking about my dad. Come on, do this for your dad. Do it for your dad. Look where you are. Look what you're doing. So that, that really, really drove me through. And, and mate, you know, if, if I can, if I can, if I can give anybody any advice, if they've got any, if, they, if they're struggling, if they've got adversity or lost anybody, I am use it as an inspiration. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the best guy in the world. I'm not the most motivated guy in the world. I'm not the best person in the world, but, but what you can, what I, I'm a trier. Never ever stop trying is my motto. Never ever ever stop trying, mate. And that's what I've done. Following on from that, I'm doing more runs. I'm getting fitter. And then, um, the, I think it was the 26th of October, 
There was a 10k run in Hull not too far from me, but it was in the outskirts of Hull. And unbeknown to me, I didn't really know where it was. I turned up, I was a bit nervous. And I've gone in the car with Andrea Whitehead and Andrea's saying, I think this is a bit hilly, this one. I did it a couple of years ago. Anyway, Steve, we set off and for two and three quarters of a mile, all we've basically done is run uphill. And I can remember, you're laughing. It's not funny. You're laughing, mate. It's I know, I shouldn't funny. be laughing. I'm sorry. It's not, it's not funny. <laughs> but, but this has changed my life. This is a real thing that needed to happen to me. Yeah. Because I'm running, and I'm running very slowly. And I'm shaking my head, and I'm going, Andrew, this, this is no good. You need to do something about this. I'm too fat. I'm overweight. I've done really well, but I'm, I'm, I'm overweight and I'm drinking. Why are you doing this? Anyway, I did it and I did it in, I think it was 58 minutes. I've done a 10K, my first ever 10K race. I've done it in under an hour. So that's good. Awesome. So ticking a box, done it in under an hour. And I went home that night and I had a bottle of wine. I remember having a bottle of wine. And then I woke up the next day and I thought, right, come on. No more drinking. Let's, let's concentrate on losing this weight. And this is coinciding with virtually going into another lockdown. So the 27th of October was the last time I had any alcohol. So I weighed, I weighed 15 stone and I got weighed in front of Ben Garrard, got weighed in front of him. I weighed 15 stone. Uh, yesterday I weighed 13 stone 13. So in lockdown, I've not had a drink. I don't want to drink anymore. My diet's better. Yeah. And I've lost a stone. I'm fitter. I've, I ran a 53 minute something 10K with my mates the other week. Yeah. So I've knocked five minutes off that time. My, my part, my fake run times are getting better. I'm getting fitter, getting stronger, wanting to run more distance. And last night, I run my 500th mile this year. I've run 500 miles this year, Steve. Congratulations. That, I mean, that is, that is a fantastic achievement. Uh, I, and I absolutely doff my cap to you. I really do. I mean, that is incredible. Anybody, anybody, you, you, right? Like, love me, hate me, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I wear my heart on my sleeve. But if anybody listens to this podcast, I'm just a really, really straightforward, simple guy that tries his balls off. And if anybody's thinking, I'm drinking too much, I'm smoking too much, I'm eating too much, if you want to change, you can. If I can if I can change, anybody can change. And even if it's just if you if you're not walking now, go for a walk, 15, yeah. 20 minutes. Or if you used to run and you'd stopped, just go back and do it because mm. you'll feel so much better and your mental health will improve massively. I guarantee you that my mental health through not drinking anymore, through eating better and exercising is the best it's been for 10 years. Yeah, no, absolutely no doubt about it. And it is just a decision at the end of the day. Sometimes it's a very hard decision uh, or choice to make for people, but it's, it's the right decision, isn't it? Uh, at the right, but you make that decision at, that, at the right time. I always say that there's a, everything happens for a reason. And like you at the beginning were very ambivalent about, you know, changing your lifestyle and so on and so forth and didn't take it really that seriously. But then all of a sudden something switched and you did and you're seeing the benefits of that. And I love that. And, and the other thing that I picked up on in that conversation was really when you're doing something like a 25 mile walk or, you know, something that's strenuous and stretching, stretching for you, a lot of it is all about your, your mindset and it's not necessarily the physical side of it. It's the mind, because from what I could gather, you know, you, you're having a lot of conversations in your head and some of those uh, walks and challenges. And with the right mind and the, and the right mindset, you can, pre- you can pretty much do anything, I think. Absolutely. I went running last night with, I, I, I've met, a, Steve, you wouldn't believe how many inspirational people I've met in the last six months. And one of one, one of the, my biggest inspirations is a girl. She's from Namibia. She's a lovely girl. She a girl's called the girl's called Lizzie Nairn. Uh she's a she's married to Grant. They've got two young kids. Lizzie's mid thirties. Uh she's been a runner for twenty years. Absolutely fantastic runner. Unbelievable runner. She's run her fastest 10K ever in her life this week. She run nineteen forty one on uh, <laughs> 
Well, Tuesday night, absolutely fantastic person. And last night was she. She's got. A, she set up this. She's doing a challenge for uh, December. She's running whatever day it is. She, that's how many miles she's got to run. So if you can imagine, today is the eleventh of December. She's done run eleven miles today. Wow. So tomorrow it's twelve, and then thirteen, and then 14. she's incredible, Un- unbelievable, superhuman. And I was talking to her about about the running. I said, "What do you do? What 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 do you do when it gets hard?" She just says she's got a switch in her head that just makes her not give in. She just, she just don't give in, and you know whether she does this challenge or not, or be down to whether she can stay fit and avoid injury. And you know, when when you see a train, she trains on a Monday night and Wednesday night with her strength and conditioning. The effort she puts in, she's really, you know, when you've got a standout, inspirational person yeah. that you look at and you think, look at you, I want to be like you, and I want to put the effort in like you do because yeah. she's really stand out and. You know, about three weeks ago, mate, we're, we're there. We're absolutely dripping wet through. And she's looked up at me and said, in this South African voice, Nibimian voice, we pay for this shit. <laughs> yeah. So you're putting yourself through pain. You're putting yourself through pain. And she's even got time to turn around and say that. You know what I mean? What a yeah. mindset. What a yeah. mindset. There's another guy that I train with, a guy called Matt there, who was heavily reliant on alcohol three three years ago. He stopped drinking. He's running 35 and 40-mile races, he's mad now, not touched a drink for three years. Wow. And, be, and rededicated his life to running and fitness and, and making a better life for himself. And these are, you know, sometimes like me, it takes adversity, Steve, to make you change. Yeah. And who knows, this time next year might not do it. I very, very much doubt it. I very, very much doubt it, the way my mindset is and how I feel now, because I've got goals that I want to set for 2021, haven't I? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but what are those goals? Well, my, my fitness goals are, I want my fastest ever 5K is 2340. I want to beat 2340 next year. I want to run less than my age for a 10K. I'm 50, 51 in March. So ideally, I want to run less than 51 minutes when the 10K season comes out next year. I want to do that. Yeah. I want to do a half marathon next year, mate, which is 30 yeah. miles in it. I want to do that. And yeah. I want to take my kids and do the three peaks with them, Molly and Harry. I've yeah. not mentioned much about Molly and Harry. They are a, a massive in- inspiration to me. Molly's 12. She's got a, a horse called Jack. He's a Connemara uh, pony. Uh, she's massively into her horse riding and equestrian. And I've got a son, Harry, who's 10. He's into Doncaster Rovers like me. He's into football. He's into the fortnight. And he's a gamey type of guy, is Harry. And he's got a, he's got a little puppy called Bo, who's a Jack Russell Cross. And yeah, he likes his mountain biking as well. I've got Harry into his mountain biking as well. And last and, last of all, mate, with my goals, personally, I want to get to 12 stone next year. I'm 13, 13 as I sat here now. And I want to be 12 stone next year, and then I'll be like a racing snake, mate, won't I? You're, uh, you'll be unstoppable. Truly, you'll be unstoppable. Do you think you're, you mentioned your children and, and, and so on, but do you think the whole family have seen a, a difference in, in the Andrew Bodle now? Oh, yeah, I think they have. I think it's not, it's not been an easy year for Kirsty and I, my wife. Mm. We used to work together, and that put a lot of pressure on us. And you, you're living together, you're working together, and you've got children at home on lockdown. And, and this won't be just be me. I think a lot of families with younger children will have, will have found it pretty tricky this year. Mm. I'd like, I'd like to think they've noticed a difference. I mean, I'm always, I've always got my running shoes on Steve now. And it must be nice for the kids not to see the dad with a glass of wine in his night, uh, in his, in his hand every night. It, it's got to do. And, You'd have to ask Molly and Harry, wouldn't you, what they really feel? But I would hope that they've noticed the difference that Dad goes to bed earlier, he don't drink, he's yeah. always out, he's always he always makes sure he walks the dog, and he's and you know he's always got time for us to do the activities on a weekend. So yeah, I think the kids have noticed the difference, and I think my wife has too. I would say they have absolutely, hundred percent. But you're not. So you mentioned that this lady in your running group was a bit of an inspiration but you're also an inspiration as well so don't forget that have you had people contact you about that about your running and what you're, you're you're doing and stuff it's funny you mentioned that when lockdown was on i was looking at 
I was I was looking on Twitter, and I keep mentioning Twitter, but there was a guy, an ex footballer, putting videos out there every day about keeping people's spirits up, and it really, it, it, yeah, made a difference to me because I, I like talking. Um, you might have gathered, um, <laughs> and I like talking because I like I, I like everybody likes to be liked, but I, I like. I like trying to help people. One of the yeah. one of my one of, I think the biggest quality that I have is I like to help people. Where I can, I like to help people. So in lockdown, I'd be doing my dog walk and lots of people jumped on this bandwagon. There were lots of Facebook lives and stuff where people are bored at home. People were going on Facebook and posting videos, this not the other. And I were doing silly ones on the night, uh, when I were doing the Yorkshire puddings and things like that. But I were doing them on my morning and 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 just saying to people, look, look, I'm out this morning. Keep your spirits up. You know, we've, we've only whatever on lockdown. If you can, you're allowed to go out, go for a walk, clear your head, do this, do that, do the other. And sort of two, three, four times a week, I'm doing my walking videos. Anyway, three weeks ago, there was a guy that I've met once in my life and maybe had two phone call conversations with him in 18 months. Yeah. He, he, he texted me and said, look, can we talk? I thought, God, yeah, if you want. So he he rung me up and he said, Hi, Andrew, it's such and such. I'm not naming him to embarrass him. He said, um, I want to ring you up and uh, I want to thank you and show my gratitude. You've changed my life. I said, well, What do you mean? He said, I've been watching your Facebook live videos on the morning. And he said, You know how big guy I am and how small I am? He said, I'm really, really heavy. I'm unfit. He said, Watching your Facebook live videos has inspired me massively and it's changed my life he said i've lost 35 pounds since september and it's all down to you he said i've i've got a fitness instructor now i'm, I'm walking every day i'm doing this and doing that and he kept saying it's all down to you i needed to show me gratitude to you so thank you so so much and it, it just took me back and yeah when you talk about i run with a girl called Alison. Uh, who lives in the village and Alison's massively into the health, uh, mental health and when you're talking about mental health particularly with men it's all about you know being able to talk and being able to open up and and if you can just help one person just one if you can help one person it means so much mm. and for and for me the the probably the, the biggest positive that could have ever happened this year was receiving that phone call and saying that i'd helped somebody change their life that's a massive 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 thing for me for me to have thought that i was just walking around the village and doing this that and the other while i'm walking my dog coco and then for it to have changed somebody's life so much they've lost two stone in weight and got, and got a pt instructor i mean it's it's almost overwhelming and so it's so good and it and it just shows you you it, you must use social media in the right way. Mm. You you know you start putting the wrong things out there; it can have the wrong effect. So you you start using social social media the right way. Sorry, you can soon you know yeah you can soon turn things around. And there's 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 a story there that's happened to me, and I'm just yeah, it's really it's really given me a boost to the end of my fitness year because. I'm now sending that guy messages when I'm doing things and he's, yeah. you know, we're communicating more and it's, it's brilliant. That's amazing. It's, it's a fabulous, yeah, brilliant, Steve. I, I could have, yeah, it's made my year. I you can know, imagine. I've been, I've been in a tough place this year, as you know, and it's made my year. So, mm. yeah, no, oh, that's so, I mean, that is so nice. And to have such a positive effect on, on somebody is, is amazing. And I, I've got to be honest with you. I reckon you're going to have a massively positive effect on, on a lot of other people as well, mate. I really do believe that. And, um, it's an incredible yeah. story and, and thank you. Thanks for sharing what you shared as well. I mean, that was, um, it was a tough thing to talk about with your dad and everything. And I'm so sorry for your loss. I really am. I mean, truly, I mean, devastating. Yeah, mate. Thank, appreciate you. thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. For, for, for sharing that with me, mate. I mean, I know everybody's been so kind, you know, and and uh, yeah. Well, He's no, great, look, I still miss him every day, Steve. I still miss him every day, mate. Yeah. And my sister and my sister does, and my mum yeah. does. We we miss him massively, but yeah, you know, there's not. What can you do? You just think of the good times, mate, don't you? That's what you do. Oh no, absolutely. You know, and I think that um, 
you know, your dad did a great job. You know, he did. He did an exceptional job in in raising you and your mum, obviously. And, you know, he's it sounds like he was an absolute gentleman and, and a true legend. And um, his spirit obviously lives lives on in you. And, and what you're doing and inspiring other people is an incredible way to pay tribute to him, really. Yeah, thank you. Thank no, you. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. It, mate, it, you know, I love my dad massively. I mean, when we had our ups and downs at work, mate. There's no two ways about it. We've both got the same sort of personality. We had our share of fallouts, mate. We did. And yeah. I think about I think about some of them now and think I was wrong and it, I shouldn't have been like that. But do you know something, mate? I don't think about them very often. I block them out of my mind and I think about the good times I had with my dad. And that's what you've got to do, mate. Try and wherever you can, try and think about good things. You know, we're we're, we're not living in the caves with cavemen, are we? Where we can't where we can't reach out and there's no there's nowhere to educate yourself. We've got all the We've got all the things now to help your mind and do these things. So yeah. anything podcasts or anything that you can listen to, books that can make yourself feel more positive, Try. Mm. I urge people to do it. Yeah. I do. Absolutely. So just to end, uh, it, fantastic co- conversation and, and chat, which I've thoroughly enjoyed. I really have. I've got a couple of questions for you. And Fire it's, something, away. it's something that's been bothering me for a while now. I want to know, because actually, just it's a background history for listeners between Yorkshiremen and Lancastrians and yeah. the Roses. And Yorkshire is white roses, Lancashire is red roses, right? Yeah. Yeah. I want to know, does Mrs. Bodle get white roses at Valentine's or red? Does, does, <laughs> oh, you know, silence. Do you know, some, do you know something? I, 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 don't, I don't know. <laughs> does she prefer... Know. Does she is she a Yorkshire lass? Yeah, she's from York, is Kirsty, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny it's it's funny, isn't it? It's funny, isn't it though, that Santa Claus is is in red and white. Yes. Yeah, have you noticed that that Santa yes. Claus is in the colours of Lancashire and Yorkshire, red yes. and white. Yes. So you've got either, either if it's a Santa Claus or Mrs. Claus, it's in red or white, isn't it? I know, I know. It's a it's a conundrum. And uh, you know, I, I wouldn't know what to do for the best if I in all honesty but i know i know your i know what your silence meant and i'll keep we'll, that we'll keep that secret um and the last question is yeah. is there any other alternative to homemade yorkshire puddings oh absolutely no 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 <laughs> oh god why on earth would you not make homemade yorkshire puddings <laughs> right for anybody that, that anybody that wants to uh friend request me after this and go back to the summer and watch me doing the yorkshire pudding videos <laughs> I prided myself on them. I used to do these silly Yorkshire pudding videos, right? I'm going to give you a tip about Yorkshire puddings. It's not about your batter mixture. People think that you've got to get it whisked up and get it really, really light. No, the simple fact is you've got to get your fat really hot in the oven. Yes. You've got to get that fat absolutely steaming, baking hot before you put your mixture in and then... And you put them back in the oven, leave them in the oven, and I guarantee you they'll rise, Steve. Now, my but, nan but, always used beef dripping. Yeah, yeah, I, we, yeah. Beef dripping's the best thing. And my mum and my nan has all used to use that. We tend to use the the oil now because it's just easier. But what, whatever, you, mu- you must get it absolutely smoking hot, and you'll get them Yorkshires to rise. And then we're not thinking about Aunt Bessie at all, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> You're not <laughs> thinking about that. Don't do it. Do <laughs> not do it. <laughs> Don't go down Aunt Bessie's road. Right. No, you heard it here first. Get get the fat hot for you for your incredible Yorkshire puddings. You heard it here. Yeah. Um, Andrew, thanks, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate you coming on on the Travelling Optimist podcast. And how can people get hold of you? You can follow me on Twitter. You can follow me on Facebook as Andrew Bodle. Please get in touch with me. If anybody wants to talk to me about absolutely anything, if it's either cleaning equipment, cleaning advice, if it's fitness advice, if it's, if it's just a chat and open up, give me a call. I'm more than happy to talk to anybody. This year has taught me more than anything else. You, life's short and you don't know how long you've got on this planet. And you know something? If you haven't got any money in your pocket, but you've got your health, your health is absolutely everything Steve. absolutely that's a, a really fantastic end to the podcast mate thanks so much for coming on i really appreciate it 
Okay, mate. It's been absolutely lovely. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Thanks, Andrew. What an inspirational story Andrew has. If you'd like to contact him, I'll have all the details in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review and keep the optimism levels topped up regularly. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, everyone.